which is one of the fastest growing startups in the UK. He is also uh, an owner of his digital agency and he's an author of Digital Marketing Trends book for 2019 and the book called Tourist Magnet Formula, which talks about how to transform your hotel or resort into a fully booked tourist attraction using more, more modern, practical digital marketing tools. Um, Andrew is also a professional guitar player and a founder of Naked Canvases Band in London, which is super cool. So, Andre, <laughs> really excited to have you uh, with me today. Hi, Sergey. Hi, guys. Sergey, thanks a lot for the invite. Uh, it's a pleasure and an honor to be here. Um, awesome. So, yeah, so this is have some fun. <laughs> total, let's do it. I mean, this is very, very exciting. Now, I'm going to have a lot of questions there. Some of them will be marketing, some of them will be personal development. But let's start with the first one. You wrote a book about hotel marketing. It was your first one. I was just curious about, talk me about the process and why did you decide to do it specifically for hotels? Okay, so um, this is a very interesting subject to start with. Um, basically, I was always into traveling and I love traveling in general, I guess like many of us. Um, however, one thing that I really like about traveling is going to places that have um, an identity of their own. And then because many times I'm traveling, you know, with business or I'm very busy when I'm traveling, I'm trying to make the most out of the time that I'm not working <laughs> during that travel. So um, what I like to do is I try to pick hotels that are not necessarily from a hotel chain or that are not very mainstream, but rather capture some of that identity of the local place that I'm going to. Um, and, you know, Europe especially is uh, well known for having so, so much identity in certain places and certain cities, everything has, every one of them has something to add. Um, However, what I found, uh, you know, talking to the people in the hotels, hotel owners many times, these are family businesses or, you know, not massive businesses. Uh, I found that most of them don't really know how to market themselves very well. Uh, many, many times they try to go down the traditional routes, but because the trends are, are changing so much and the way that people research into locations when they travel, then um, they are into a disadvantaged place mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. they can't really fight with the big boys, let's say, that have yeah. massive budgets to invest in marketing, etc. So, um, and I also never wrote a book before. Mm -hmm. So I, it was always on my mind to start writing and so on. I write blogs. Uh, I used to write before as well, like before getting fully into marketing. Um, and I said, okay, it was, I think, on the 15th of February uh, last year. So almost around this time when um, I, I was just coming from uh, Bournemouth here in the UK. Um, and I was like, you know what, again, going to um, a couple of hotels like that, seeing a couple of hotels like that, I was like, okay, I think if I was to do something in terms of writing, I might as well start now. And right. I really had this thing um, at that time when I, I felt I could bring some value to this sort of target market. So I was like, okay, cool, let's do this. So I started writing, writing exactly then on the train, uh, you know, putting the <laughs> chapters together and so on. Uh, and eventually, 
managed to launch the book in May. So it was a quick turnaround. Yeah. Uh, I was writing mostly on planes and trains and stuff like that. Um, but it was good fun, and the, the book was received very, very nicely. I was humbled by the, you know, kind of positive feedback. Mm -hmm. Also, I thought it was a very good opportunity to tap into this market. So obviously, having a digital marketing agency was, a, it wasn't the primary reason why I wrote the book, but it was a nice thing to have as well because as I was, I was basically becoming a potential go-to person to help if they wanted to go forward with this. So um, did a bit of uh, advertising for the services in the summer. Um, and yeah, also uh, for my personal brand, uh, I really wanted to become a best-selling author. Um, I thought I knew how to do it. Um, and then I just like pushed for it. Fortunately, uh, that happened. So I was very happy about it. And this also opened the opportunity for me to help another couple of authors, mainly here in the UK. Uh, become the selling authors themselves. So this was just another, you know, sort of business opportunity that opened as a result. Well, it's very cool. You combined uh, your passion or your interest for hotels and or or traveling, and like, hey, how can I help these guys out? Which is very, mm -hmm. which is which makes sense totally. Well, that that's uh, that's very cool. So what are you? So are you talking in the book about the tactics, or are you talking about the strategy? What's the main focus? So um, I think uh, I'm trying to combine the strategy so that um, because I'm aware that most of these people don't really have studies in marketing and maybe nor should they. I mean, they have a business that they need to run. So I'm trying to make it as easy as possible for them to get into the strategic mindset of what they should be aiming to get out of the promotion that they do. And then I'm trying to offer the, that, like the core tactics that if they were doing well, then would have a massive impact on their business. Some of them might already do some of these tactics. Uh, some of them might not. Some of them might think that they are much more expensive than they actually are or that they don't have the resources to put them in place when actually, you know, having a good social media presence um, is not, you don't have to outsource that from anywhere uh, or, you know, I mean, you can delegate that across your team because in a hotel, there are a couple of people, some of them right. like to do social media stuff, so they would be happy to take that over. Anyway, so I'm trying to, kind of open up a couple of options for them and then trying to show how these would impact the business with uh, as little additional resource as possible. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. The total, this is a, this is, I'm sure this is a very interesting read because it's so difficult, especially with, uh, with Airbnb and folks like that. Um, mm -hmm. So I want to talk about, so you, you write a blog, you write blogs, you have blogs on your LinkedIn, on your medium, on the website. So one of the blogs that you wrote was about, Spotify advertisement is that mm -hmm. the fact that it's recent, relatively new, and that there's this potential to to gain more market if you actually start advertising on it. Talk to me about that. What successes have you seen with Spotify so far? What was good? Maybe what was not so good? How do you see that evolving? Um, I think that so first of all, it's a really new platform, and audio in general is growing. You know, we are doing our podcast, which hopefully is going to be you know listened by a lot of people. At the same time, people get engaged with a lot more audio content, but also with music. So I see Spotify as the sort of Spotify advertising. I see it in a way like the traditional sort of radio advertising, which is not that um, well received anymore. Um, and I think because it's more, it's newer and companies don't really know how to use it that well, uh, obviously it's a marketplace, so the price is not that high. Um, and the opportunity is to engage with this specific audience that is listening to Spotify, the free version, which would be probably mostly young people like, uh, you know, millennials and right. you, you, even younger. 
I think that uh, some of them have tried to get started on it, but they don't really know how to do so. At the moment, if you were to think about the split, it's a lot of musicians versus other brands. But the musicians that try to do it through small labels or themselves don't seem to be doing it that well. Mm. Whereas when a brand comes in and actually has a good adver advertisement, then that creates a lot more impact and positive you know, response. I think that Spotify specifically is very good for brand awareness, so I wouldn't count too much on it driving traffic or uh, starting a purchase scenario. But if you are, let's say, um, some of the good examples are, for example, the campaign that Captain Morgan ran uh, last year when they were advertising, you know, to this sort of, in the festival season to this target audience and they had massive success, obviously. This yeah. was going, if you were to think about it from an integrated marketing point of view, this was going together with the events that they were running at the actual festivals. But um, the compounded, effect of this with other marketing activities can be immense. Mm -hmm. So I would say that Spotify marketing at the moment is underpriced versus what it can be in, you know, maybe even by the end of this year, because they have launched the new platform, which allows smaller advertisers to come on board as well. Um, and I think that if you are a brand, a B2C brand, uh, and you are not very small, so maybe if you are, let's say, medium, um, this would be a very good op opportunity for you to diversify your communications, uh, step away from the traditional maybe social media, PPC, whatever you might be running, and integrate this as an additional channel, maybe with influencer marketing or other things that might be you might be running. Right. Uh, when you're if you're targeting mostly like young folks, right, up to 25, yep. 26, 28 maybe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Got exactly. it. Exactly. Totally. So. What strategy? So I want to talk a little bit about Instagram because there's some very cool things we, we can do or businesses can do at the moment. Influencer marketing, they can they can do just pure um, awareness, just building their brand. And you wrote a great post about it, uh, about Instagram marketing in 2019, really nicely laid out like pretty much the whole package. Now, I wanted to talk about the micro-influencers because they're super important. And what are some of the strategies would uh, if you are running a small business would be worth implementing with micro influencers on Instagram and what kind of like do you offer them when you are reaching out to those people what kind of incentive would would make sense do you offer them a certain uh, f like would you just offer them your part of your product or a service for free or would you pay them what, what do you see businesses succeeding with or maybe you had personal success with for micro influencing on Instagram Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, a little change in the landscape here that is uh, foreseen for 2019 is that, you know, when we were referring to micro-influencers, we were saying, let's say, people that had roughly, let's say, 10k followers or so, or maybe a bit more. Um, now there's another uh, sort of type of influencers emerging, uh, which is nano-influencers, which is influencers that have, let's say, up to 5k or up to 10k um, followers on Instagram. Um, and there are a couple of reasons why brands should be looking into advertising with these guys. So to tackle a couple of the issues that are on Instagram at the moment is that everybody is super desperate to get the numbers, which is important, but at the same time, the methods through which they might be getting those numbers are not always the best. Um, from a brand perspective, what you should be looking at is not how many I mean, this is all, this is probably already known, but 
you shouldn't always be looking only at the numbers, but also at the engagement that the, the people get for their posts, as well as what type of content they tend to post, and their, uh, also their activity, for example, on the stories, because that's going to be a big opportunity for you as a brand to engage with those followers. Um, in terms of successes and the strategy that I think brands should be looking for, um, the starting point is obviously what audience you want to tap into and what's your business objective to tap into that audience through Instagram. So if you are a very small brand, let's say, um, and you are in, I would, I would mostly go for B2C products. So whether those would be like healthy snacks or um, makeup or cosmetics or accessories. So this, this type of things. Um, I think that here, um, the best opportunity for you as a brand would be to go and influence and collaborate with these nano influencers because the price is going to be lower. Uh, you'll be able to make probably a mix of products and money. Uh, usually it's nice to pay them, but if you have a very valuable product, then it might be the case that they will say, okay, don't try to get that for cheap because again, the influencers, many of them try to make a career out of being an influencer. It's kind of a trend now. Um, but it's quite a lot of work that is being inputted from their side to create that valuable, like that high quality content for you and so on. So, you know, just bear in mind when you make that offering, like that package to that nano influencer or micro influencer that you are also, you know, tackling the relationship right. Right. And then, um, yeah, try to try to think of a mix that would work for you. So for example, if your product is priced at, uh, I don't know, a hundred pounds, and you want to collaborate with another influencer that has, let's say, three or four K followers on Instagram, and you want them to do you a couple of like two posts and then uh, a couple of stories, then you might be okay if they accept to just give them the product. But if you also want a blog post and you want a full photo session of that, and you want them to post across, you know, a couple of weeks, then you should probably look at mixing the product with a budget, um, and then try to try to rather than go to uh, to an influencer that has 100k followers and they are probably not that well um, geographically positioned so for example you know like a national influencer uh, or international influencer wouldn't make sense for you if you are a local brand so try to be smart about it and try to also get a get a picture of what was going to be the best return on your investment sort of in the short term because you don't need to you know, appeal internationally if you are just looking to create your community locally. And then you can go and rather than spending a thousand K, no, sorry, a thousand pounds um, collaborating with a bigger influencer, you might as well just uh, pick a couple of smaller ones, like three, four, five smaller ones that are very local. And then they also, because they are smaller, they have better engaged, usually a better engaged following. So their dialogue, they might know personally more followers than the bigger ones. So then the trust is better there and you might be able to see much better results um, totally. by going down this route. Right, just go into search, look for location, find the location that is close to you, where, wherever your business is located, wherever you're finding clients, look at the top posts, find those people, look at their engagement, and then, hey, this makes sense, DM those people, and then either do a video or send a text like, hey, I can offer you XYZ for free, or mm -hmm. I can... Uh, pay you that this amount to to have my product placement or to have a post about my services or my product and then just mm -hmm. test it out right 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I think that also this works again because we mentioned local services like for restaurants, for example, this works really well. And um, also for, you know, like cosmetics and food. So if you are in these in industries, this is a massive, massive opportunity for you. For example, if you have, um, let's say, a barbershop, then engaging with a couple of more popular people in your area that might be looking for, you know, um, getting their haircut done or stuff like that, that can also be beneficial to your business. So again, get creative and try to, you know, create meaningful and fair relationships with the people that might be promoting on your, be on your behalf. Definitely, definitely. Now, um, IGTV re launched last year, within, actually 2017 now, uh, with Instagram, and they're kind of going after people who are doing YouTube, obviously different formats, slightly different audience. If you are right now an owner of a small business, where do you, and then you're, for example, you're just starting out, do you start with IGTV and then combine it with your Instagram efforts, or you, like Gary Vaynerchuk says, do everything and then do YouTube and do IGTV? And then just what are your thoughts on IGTV versus YouTube? Hmm, so... It depends. As you mentioned, you can do everything if you repurpose the content, right? Um, but at the same time, it's very different depending on your business as well as your target audience. Because in B2B, it would be a much more different strategy of content production than in B2C. So, for example, in B2B, you wouldn't need Instagram TV, let's say, but rather you might be looking better at YouTube and you can, for example, if you are in the software business and um, you are helping people, let's say, uh, automate their marketing services, uh, your content would be more along the lines of how to create a well-optimized uh, marketing automation strategy or stuff like that. And then you'd be able to produce more long-form content that would go on YouTube. Most people are probably going to look for YouTube for that stuff. And then if you optimize well your YouTube videos, then you have a chance of ranking and then you get, you know, in front of your target audience. Um, with Instagram TV, I think that it's best for brands that appeal to customers directly. And I would probably think it would be most relevant to, people, to brands that are in entertainment or blogging, personal, personal trends stuff like that so fashion again uh, I, I saw quite a quite a lot of brands from fashion posting on instagram tv mm -hmm. because they are creating that or they have the opportunity to create that sort of content much easier than other brands um but to keep it short so if i was to pick between the two uh, considering also the evolution that has happened from when instagram tv launched until now and also how youtube responded to that um and I was, if I was to make a decision now, generally, I would probably look at YouTube first and then see if anything that I'm producing on YouTube can be repurposed for Instagram TV, if that makes sense yeah. for me as a brand. No, absolutely. I think uh, just repurposing everything is so important, like taking the, like, for example, taking the podcast, then transcribing it and then slicing it into smaller pieces of uh, either audio or just text, putting it on a, in the blog, putting it on uh, just the quotes on Instagram, maybe quotes on Twitter, and then mm -hmm. doing similar things with YouTube and then verticalizing that for Instagram. Again, going back to Gary Vaynerchuk, he's been doing it for years now, and to great success, it's just a matter of like, finding or outsourcing right to do that, to do that well. Now, there's something I wanted, I was curious about your opinion. Uh, so right now with marketing, everybody does retargeting, email automation, they, everybody has even LinkedIn automation right now with Linked Helper and a bunch of 
uh, tools like that, uh, where you can run sequences of messages on LinkedIn, which by the way, work extremely well for now until LinkedIn mm -hmm. banned them. Uh, <laughs> and so, but then the, 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 with customers, everybody wants this authentic, non-robotic communication. Nobody wants to be sold to, nobody wants to be a lead when, especially when you're trying to throw a form at a customer. So how do you become a more authentic brand and communicate with customers one-on-one -on -one in a personalized way, which this is what customers want. And by definition, this is not scalable. What are your like thoughts on this and how can you deploy that and just start with this instead of going with the old marketing way where you're just automating everything and works but it's just not very authentic and you're not you're looking at dashboards but you're not necessarily talking to customers one-on-one -on -one. Mm -hmm. so um i think the main point to start thinking about this would be like the starting point of designing the strategy would be to to look at your content marketing strategy. So, because I think that in most cases, content is the main element that pulls people into your brand and your story. And I think that from this moment onwards, when you start your relationship by offering some sort of value, then you'll get away much better with automating stuff. <laughs> so, so rather than um, pushing content in an, automatic way, in an automatic way to people that have never heard about you and then trying to um, create the relationship like so robotic without engaging or offering value at any point, uh, that's not going to work probably. I think that as a small business, and I think that this works in most cases, would be try to see what's your core value proposition, like what's your product and what's the actual value that you bring to your market and then what of that value you can give away for free uh, or you know what other additional things you can give away for free um, so that people can eventually get value from you without having to purchase your product. Uh, because if you do that right, then either those people will become loyal and start purchasing your products um, or they will refer a potential customer to you because they found value and they know your brand um, or um, they, they will just not be ready to buy yet and they will become customers at the latest stage. So I think that anyway, to again, keep it, keep it short because I tend to start talking a lot <laughs> when, okay. I, when I'm giving away a lot of examples. Yeah. Um, but to keep it short, I think that start with a good content strategy, see, see what real value you can give away for free. And then you kind of need to try to convert those people. So again, it's a business world. We need to create the leads and we need to engage with the people eventually. Um, but try to push messages as much as possible after you have offered something, because then you're gonna get away much better with it. And also you will not become that you know pushy brand that right. people hate because they can't get away from. Yeah. But rather, you know, they, they'll be a bit familiar with you. Uh, automation is really good. I'm a fan of automation, uh, but automation downright. So, for example, if you are creating a equal like a funnel, let's say, and you are getting your leads by offering a free, let's say, white paper, but that white paper is really good and it's really valuable and so on, um, and you ask for their email address and then you just push out some other information that is valuable to them, that's not going to probably bother them too much in the beginning. Then. 
if you follow up with a phone call and again try to offer them some services that would actually help that and you show that you have actually done the research into them so you know you, you don't just call like hey uh, we are you know a marketing agency and we do this and that and that and that i mean that's not going to be relevant to them so we probably won't even get good results for your time um rather when you get that lead look into what they do look into what they do right look into what they might be doing better and then when you call up don't try to call to only sell but rather say hey we looked into you and that's kind of like building on the one-to-one relationship right. uh we, we saw you are doing this great but this thing we noticed that you haven't explored it to the maximum so we could help you with that um and you know we have like whatever program that might be good for them as a company uh we'd love to show you a bit more about it and uh you know worst case scenario you will just not want to get it but best case scenario we might be able to increase our business this much you know so try to yeah integrate the human element along the way um another thing that was in discussion regarding this automation and i saw a couple of debates on was with the chatbots and how you know the engagement is high but there's um challenge when it comes to when does the human come into you know into the takeover so so uh, as far as I heard, the machine learning element of the chatbots is advancing at a very high, sp- high pace so that they will be able to respond much better to queries on the websites and stuff like that, probably by the end of this year. Mm. Um, but from your brand perspective, again, you have to think when actually, like try, try to scrap all the possibilities of automation and you know rather than thinking that oh this chatbot could get my relationship with my visitors to you know x stage in the customer journey right. uh, try to try to think about if i was not going to the x stage and i was coming in into the relationship at you know like three stages before how would that reflect in the end result uh, of that relationship like will is it more likely for them to buy, et cetera, et cetera? Is it worth Certainly. allocating the time? Yeah, I think the takeaway from this is when you are starting out, start with non-scalable things where you do one-on-one and you start engaging with your customers with no automation tools. Do it all the way until you absolutely have to automate and then you'll gain the knowledge of knowing what to automate. Because when you just start with automating, you don't quite know what the customer pain point is. You don't quite know what is this thing that you're trying to automate. Is it the calendar booking with Calendly that you're trying to get to? If that's the case, then you can have a bot configured with this call to action on the website. That will be very easy. But then if you don't quite know it and you jump into automation, it will be really difficult for you to figure this out. So I guess when you start with just personalized one-on-one conversation, do it manually all over and over and over, gain the knowledge, and then you automate. You can build a system that it does both, has authenticity, it also has uh, some automation element in place. Mm-hmm. And also to build on this, so when it comes to the relationship, certainly, if you are a startup and you are in the beginning, learn your audience as much as possible, like inside out. Um, however, where I think that it would be worth as a startup, to use automation is in your advertising because you want to, if you have those couple of potential customers that you um, you know you are a good fit for, and obviously you won't have a massive budget to advertise, you want to make sure that you are getting exactly to the right type of audience by uh, you know, automating your, let's say, lookalike 
your advertising to look like audiences to that are like the people that are your ideal customers let's say so you know use use automation in the respect of uh, increasing the effectiveness of your budget but don't automate things that you need in order to be able to deliver a better value to your customers certainly certainly now um, you talk a little. You you do talk a little bit about in your blogs about voice SEO, and we know this is going to be a huge thing uh, after it actually gets adopted on a larger scale. Why would we type? There's no point. We're just going to talk to our phone, and this thing's going to do whatever we want. How businesses? Is there any way that businesses can benefit from the SEO based on the voice at the moment, or is it still too early? Uh, I would say, uh, you know, the immediate benefits would be for local businesses again. So, um, you know, if you have a restaurant, like a pizza place, or whatever that might be, um, people are looking for those type of things right now um, using their phones. So that SEO is going to be really important for you, you know, like make sure that your location is accurate on Google, you have the right contact details there, and then you integrate your location or keywords related to your location on your website. Um, as well as uh, as much meta information as you can while keeping it still relevant so that when a, when a robot comes to look for that, I mean, come from this mindset, when a robot comes to look for that and they are looking for specific keywords based on the query, make sure that you offer them as similar to that query as possible and as strict to the point as possible in order for you to be the best ranking. Um, when referring to the query itself, I would say think about how people might be looking for your business so let's say you are a restaurant and you want to create like your community there around you um, people would probably look at the um, what are the best uh, Italian restaurants in my area let's say and then based on that you can include the name of your restaurant the fact that you are specialist in Italian food and then that you are located on X Street in let's say London um, so try to make it easy for the bots to associate you with that. That would be for the local businesses. And then for the product-based businesses. So um, there was an example in this blog that I wrote and I remember, I think it was Sony or Panasonic, one of them, mm -hmm. that had their products on Amazon very with very, very long names. And most of that name was actually, you know, like the product specifications such as series AX1 uh, model 325 whatever right. um, but but actually um, that was detrimental to their SEO because imagine your assistant like your phone telling you that name you'd forget the the first part of the name like was this Sony or was it Panasonic type of thing <laughs> so Again, think about that from a user experience point of view. Uh, if you are selling, let's say, products and you are also on Amazon or on other e-shops and you want to get buyers from these channels, uh, name your products you know, uh, in an easy way so that they can make the purchase decision fast. People are already buying stuff from the assistants, but it's mostly stuff that is not some high value. So they probably wouldn't buy phones unless they know exactly what they need, but they will probably buy um, and they actually, the, the biggest sales at the moment are, you know, like cat food or dog food or paper or stuff like that. You know, recurrent, like usual recurrent things. household stuff. Yeah. When you're actually so rebuying them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you are a provider there, then um, you can take advantage 
of this channel by doing these things. Certainly, certainly, that that's definitely going to be very, very important for the future. I'm, I'm, I'm certain about that. We'll see how that actually pans out. Now, there's this is a off marketing. This is not related to marketing question. I know you are, um, you follow people who are huge in personal development, uh, like Tony Robbins, Jim Rohn, Napoleon Hill. What are some of the top three takeaways um, that you could that you got for yourself after following folks like that? maybe on a psychology or the mindset or uh, things related to achieving your goals. Exciting. I really like to talk about this thing with yeah. people. I, I think that uh, it really helped me a lot in becoming more, I think. And I think that everybody can, can do this. So I would say first thing that um, I think it's important is to understand that you it's not about the ideas that you have and oh I have so many good ideas and blah 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 it's about the execution of those ideas and actually bringing them to life and understanding that you make your own luck as well as opportunities as well as success so it's not you know sometimes it might seem that you know you know somebody really successful and it seems like they are getting all these opportunities and they are so lucky but actually until they got those opportunities and became lucky it was most times a very very hard process i mean mainly if it's some if you are let's say somebody like when i started out i didn't have you know like a lot of money or a lot of you know people that i knew i mean i came to the uk to study originally so i was from romania where you know i had a band and it was really cool and then i came to study university and when i came to the uk i didn't really know anybody but at the same time, that was a good thing because it helped me step out of my comfort zone, which would be the second thing, uh, you know. And so the first would be that you are the actual only responsible person for these things in your life. The second would be that the comfort, your comfort zone is your greatest enemy. And if you stay there and you don't constantly go out, then you will eventually not be able to do more or to become more than the person that you, that you are at the moment. And the third element, I think it is... I think it was from Jim Rohn, um, and if not Tony Robbins, because he was sort of like his mentor. Uh, but yes. uh, that was, you can only become better or worse. I mean, you don't stay the same. So, you know, with every little decision that you make through the day or with everything that you do or you do not, even if it's just like, you know, something really small, that will only make you be better or worse than you were before that decision or before that action. So you know, always try to keep that in mind um, throughout the day. And then, you know, you won't see immediate results. Um, and that's a quote, I think, from Tony Robbins, that many people uh, underestimate, uh, overestimate what they can do in a day or a month, but they underestimate what they can do in five or 10 years. So try to think long-term, but act very short-term. And I that's going to create a big impact. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I think I'll, uh, I'll just add one thing that... Um, that you just already talked about is the fact that people that somebody becomes successful people think oh they got lucky or they did something that they you know it was just it was just an accident or they alluded mm -hmm. to luck or something not necessarily the the hard work but i was listening to an interview with denzel bashington and he obviously worked super hard and became extremely successful in hollywood world and he was doing an interview and he said well I was working very hard. I was not cutting corners. I was just grinding every single day, doing what I had to do. And then I became a 28-year-old 20, overnight sensation. 
<laughs> and this was so um, funny because there's just so many other stories like that. Everybody thinks that it just happens. 24 mm-hmm. hours or in a, in a week, somebody met somebody and then you may, maybe you met, you run into Tony Robbins uh, next week and then you became um, maybe somebody who's extremely successful and you, you, you made millions of dollars. But what they really underestimate is that you have to be prepared. You mm-hmm. have to know what you want. You have to be prepared. You have to be conditioned. And only then you'll be able to take advantage of the opportunity. Because if there, mm-hmm. everybody is, it's, it's so interesting. And that's um, something that I've, uh, I thought was very, very important is everybody, every single person is exposed to opportunities every single day. Very few see them and mm-hmm, see, that, mm-hmm. see them as an opportunity. And so like I find when you move into UK, that was a huge opportunity and you took advantage of that and you could have seen that or interpreted it in a completely different way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also another thing exactly on this note that I tend to tell you know everybody from friends to clients to people that I meet on a day-to-day basis, um, I think all of us are always sort of trying to be prepared for the worst but so many, so so few people prepare for the best. I mean, you know, and I think this is a very, very important shift that we have to make as, you know, people that want to be successful in what they do. Because, you know, um, if you see an opportunity and you don't consider yourself prepared, then, then you won't take advantage of it. But that might not come again. Uh, and also another nice uh, quote that I, I, I'm always quoting um, from Richard Branson is if you think if an opportunity comes to you and uh, you don't you are not sure if you can you know deliver to that uh, just say yes and then learn on, along the way love it love it this is uh, totally agree I completely agree with that now because I like to talk about books on this podcast and we always want to get more value to our listeners what was the most impactful book in marketing or business that you read that you really thought was very uh, was very cool Hmm. Uh, Marketing-wise, I personally prefer not to read that many full books, but rather be very up-to-date with what's going on in the market on blogs or websites or, you know, stuff like that, like, you know, from Marketing Week to any other very focused marketing website. Um, So probably in terms of marketing books, I would probably not be able to bring that much value to the conversation here because I'm sure that since... Uh, I've looked into books. I mean, probably I read the last marketing book uh, in 2018, I think in the summer, um, like full book, but I'm sure that there are a lot of very good marketing books there if you like to read books. But I prefer to read on the internet also because it's a bit more convenient and I can stick it into my daily schedule much better. Um, But I think that business books or, you know, sort of in the personal development type of mm-hmm. space would be yeah. so Tony Robbins uh, Money Master the Game I think it's a very cool book um, Love then Rich Dad Poor Dad is another book that I always recommend to people um, and you don't have to be into real estate to take uh, you know the essence of it um, then Think and Grow Rich I think is one other other one that should be if you haven't read it already that should be your number one priority Oh, it's huge. Yeah, totally agree. Like, love those. All those are so, so, so good. Now, Andre, I wanted to ask you about your music band. What are the, what's going on with the band? What are the plans for this year? What are you doing right now? 
<laughs> love it. Okay, so um, yeah, we are doing great. Unfortunately, we haven't been that active lately because uh, we are going through a couple of changes in our uh, composition. So um, our previous singer decided that he wanted to go more down the route of becoming a singer-songwriter. So, um, well, he, he's sort of figuring out exactly what he wants to do now. Um, we are still friends, uh, everybody, but we just decided mm -hmm. that probably mm -hmm. is going to be best to part ways for now. So uh, we are looking for a new singer as we speak. We are auditioning and doing all these sort of things. Um, hopefully things will become very clear by March latest. And then the plans are to go into the studio as soon as possible because we have a lot of stuff that we want to put out. Mm. But we just need to hold back because we don't know who's going to sing it exactly. And that's important. Uh, <laughs> of course, of course. And, no. th and then... Uh, yeah, and then it's gonna be a lot about uh, going to starting to gig again. So we plan to put out a new single, probably with a music video, and then um, create probably a mini tour, as well as write more songs because we were planning to launch an EP last year, but because of these changes, um, we had to postpone for this year. So if everything goes well, we'll probably launch at least two singles by autumn and either a very big EP or maybe even an album by the end of the year. Let's see how everything goes. Very cool. Very cool. We'll be following. Now, Andrea, my last question, where is the everybody can find you online? Oh, super. So um, I can be found by searching for Andre Tiu, which is my name. Um, if you guys want to see what we are up to with Market you, um, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever. Uh, I'm also everywhere, like Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, YouTube. So whatever works best for you, I'm gonna be there. Um, would be would love to hear if I can help in any way. So never be, you know, uh, you can always message me. I'm trying to go back and come back to everybody that um, sends me messages anywhere. Um, in terms of um, business stuff and uh, you know resources we try to put as much as possible on market you so we are on medium uh, and also uh, we're gonna start to update our website much better than we have in the past couple of months so sorry for that <laughs> <laughs> but uh but do follow us on medium because that's where all of our articles get so we'll be we'll co continue to be active there and um yeah, now we are getting a couple of new people in our team which are going to help us on the content side and that will probably mean more free and high quality content. So Very, very cool. Well, I will and we will link all the resources that Andre just mentioned below the episode so you could just guys follow and check out what Andre is working on, what's going on with the music band, his marketing videos, his marketing articles and just get in touch because Andre does do a lot of one-on-one -on -one replies and conversations and you could actually see it on his in his linkedin in his blog post <laughs> so andrew thank you so much it was a great having you on the podcast and uh, i thought it was a great conversation yeah thank, thanks for again